You're listening to the Protecting Your Practice podcast with your hosts, Attorney Dan Mayer and Licensed Counselor Melissa Westner. Dan is not your attorney and Melissa is not your therapist, but they're here to help you cross your T's and dot your I's as they talk about all the things you wish you had learned in grad school. And now, here are your hosts. Hi there, and thanks for joining us today. Today, Dan and I are talking about mental health treatment and the age of consent. As you already know, this can vary from state to state and has a number of implications for both clients and clinicians. And it's talk like these that make me really glad that I only work with people over 18. But if that's not you, you want to pay close attention because this information is really important. So uh, this topic is of uh, the topic of consent is a I mean, huge, absolutely astronomically huge, you know, to the point that we could spend hours talking about it. So when you're talking about consent, you always want to be careful or make clear what what aspect of it you're talking about. So, you know, for this podcast episode today, um, we are not talking about the entire scope of consent and all the different aspects of it and, you know, who it applies to and whatever it is. What we are talking about is a critical point of consent, and that is the Treatment of minors, the ability of minors to consent to mental health treatment. Uh, and, you know, when and where and how can they do so? An example of why this is so important, why this may matter to you, uh, will matter to you if you do uh, handle minor clients um, in therapy, is based on a, a, a story that was told to me um, by someone. Now, I've changed some of the details to keep anonymity and um, also protect confidentiality. But Long story short, there was a situation with someone at some point in the past where there was a minor client who was, I think, about 14 or 15, and he was uh, in middle school or high school, and he was questioning his sexuality, uh, and he was having issues at school because of it. And he made the decision to seek out uh, therapy on his own, and the consultation with the therapist disclosed to her that he did not want his parents to know that he was in therapy. Because he did not want them to know that he was questioning his sexuality, he came from a very conservative household, very stringent beliefs, I guess. And the problem, though, was, of course, that he couldn't afford the therapy. He needed his parents' insurance to do so. So the therapist in question had a real conundrum on her hands because, as anyone knows who takes insurance, when you bill insurance and an explanation of benefits, EOB, is sent to whoever holds the insurance. Which means that in his case, this person's case, if they did get therapy and did bill insurance, his parents were going to at some point get an EOB that said that he was consulting on getting treatment at this therapy practice. Um, the other thing that happened was he also disclosed to the therapist that he was self-harming. Now, that particular therapist had a really big problem on her hands because now you have a, a minor client who is potentially putting themselves at risk of self-harm. So, you know, of course, that's where she reached out to me and, and, and I talked to her about it. But this is an example of why this is such a critical component for you to be aware of and know about if you are handling minor clients, because, you know, a minor can consent to treatment, but there are a lot of other considerations that you have to take into account along with that. So what I generally tell practitioners, what I consider is there are really four main points to consider. They're quite detailed, so we're going to go through them, um, but there are four. The first and, of course, the most obvious, I think, is, of course, you want to know what your actual state's laws are regarding the age of consent and minors. 
Now, for example, Maryland, because that's where I'm licensed, um, in Mar- many states, um, the age of consent for mental health treatment is 16. In fact, Maryland's law says that a person who's 16 years or older can consent to consultation, diagnosis, and treatment of a mental or emotional disorder. Now, Maryland, for example, that is changing as of October 1st and is being changed lower to the age of 12. Now, obviously, many of you may be thinking 12, it seems really young. I agree. I'm not entirely sure a 12-year-old can or should be consenting to mental health treatment on their own, but I'm not a practitioner like you, you, you guys are. But what Maryland does do in the new law um, is it does make it clear that the, it is the continued obligation upon the individual practitioner to make their best judgment call. And basically what it says is that, you know, if in your judgment, you believe that a 12-year-old in this specific situation cannot give consent or is not mature enough to give consent, then you certainly can make a, a judgment call at that point. And I think that's a really important uh, thing for therapists to know. I don't know but, about yeah. you as you're listening, but I'm sitting here going, I don't want that responsibility of determining right. if that 12-year-old uh, is mature enough. And mm-hmm. again, there's area for disagreement. One clinician mm-hmm. might say, no, I think it's fine. And another one might say, no, I don't think they meet the standard. So mm-hmm. it's a little subjective and, and a lot of responsibility for the clinician. It is. But, you know, I think it's a good thing that it's not hard and fast. It doesn't just say this is what it is and not the end of it. It does say you need to use your best judgment as you do with everything else, you know, every other aspect of therapy um, and your career um, as a practitioner. But this is critical. Okay, because the law, you know, this is a, a good example that Maryland's changing the law. I've talked to a number of practitioners. This law changed within the last three weeks. It was signed by Larry Hogan, um, the governor of Maryland. I've talked to a number of practitioners who have no idea if this was even had happened. And that's a good example of why it is so important. You must know what the laws are when it comes to consent in your state. If you don't know them, if you're not able to figure it out, if you're reading it and you have no idea what it means, then consult an attorney. But you need to know. If you're going to see minor clients, you need to know this stuff. Okay. And if Um, you're in a state where the law is similar to this one in Maryland, where the counselor has some discretion, you're also going to have to think about what system am I going to use to determine Mm -hmm. that before I've met this client in person, Mm -hmm. right? At some point, they have to consent to treatment. Mm-hmm. What process will I follow in order to mm-hmm. make that determination? That yeah, absolutely true. Um, and I want to kind of come back a bit more to the, the considerations you, you take into account in a minute. I do want to point one thing out. What When you read what the law says, which again, I'm going to read it, it says uh, consent to consultation, diagnosis, and treatment of a mental or emotional disorder. So what's missing? Well, what's missing is there's nothing in there about the ability to consent to waiving confidentiality or signing contracts or waiving liability. It only says that they can consent to treatment, right? Um, And so that's another reason why it's so important to know what your laws are. You must know them. Um, And we're going to talk a bit in in a minute or two about some of these other things, but it's something to be aware of because the second point is you need to know that the ability consent to consent does not equal the ability to waive liability. In most states, if not all of them, I'm hedging a bit here because obviously I'm only licensed in Maryland, but I can tell you what Maryland says. Most states will tell you that a contract or the ability to waive your legal rights can only be enacted by someone who is of the age of majority, 18 years or older. 
And again, so if you look at the Maryland consent law, it doesn't say anything about the ability to waive your rights. It doesn't say anything about waiving liability, ability to waive liability. And so what does that mean? It, what it means is just because a minor generally can waive or, or can, can consent to mental health treatment, that doesn't necessarily mean they can do all the rest of the stuff that comes with it. You know, for example, we talked about outdoor therapy in one of our previous episodes, right? Well, if you're doing outdoor therapy and you're not having a waiver in place, you're, you're making a big mistake. We talked about that. But if you are doing uh, outdoor therapy and you are having a waiver in place and you do have a minor who's walking in through your door um, who wants to do outdoor therapy and you hand them a waiver to sign, what you're doing is you're handing them a contract, a document that they're signing saying they are waiving their rights, their legal rights. So that's a big deal. And in some way, one of the risks that you're undertaking at that time, if you do have them sign it, is that if they sign it and they get injured or harmed or God forbid killed, um, you know, say they get hit by a car, the parents sue. It's not entirely guaranteed. In fact, I would say it's very much likely that a court may say or a judge may say, Mm-mm, this is not a valid con, this is not a valid waiver. This was not this was not signed by a parent or guardian. This was a person who was 13 years old or 14 years old. They could not consent to waiving their, their rights. So this waiver is invalid, which means that now you have liability on your hands. So that's why this is so serious. All right. You need a parent or guardian to consent still for contracts, for waiving of legal rights, things like that in general. Okay. So, so that's something to be aware of. Um, did you have something to add, Melissa? Nope. I just know that you were also talking about COVID and the implications of that mm-hmm. for minors right now. Yes. So that's, also that's a really good point. About. Thank you. Yes. Actually, that's a really good point, too. With regards to COVID, a lot of practices are, in fact, putting in COVID waivers. Okay. Now, one thing to know about the COVID waivers is right now, the COVID vaccine is not available to people under the age of 16, to my recollection. Okay. So actually, that's a great point, because if you're a minor, if I have a 13-year-old coming into my office to do the therapy and I have them sign a COVID waiver, they are not able to be vaccinated. They are entering into a, at least a, a degree, a small degree of risk to their health. And so typically, the reason you have a COVID waiver signed, of course, is you're saying to the client, look, you know, you're understanding that there is a degree of risk coming to my office. You're willing to waive liability against the practice to come in and have therapy. So again. To your point, Melissa, if you have a 13-year-old who cannot consent to waiving their rights, and then they come in and they sign a COVID waiver, how is that valid? I don't think it can be, right? Especially because they're not even able to get vaccinated. It gives providers a lot to think about. Absolutely. Point number three to consider is that just because, for example, in the anecdote I provided, which is what the therapist, the problem the therapist ran into, is that just because a, a minor client who consents to mental health treatment and without their parent or guardian's approval, that does not mean that the parent or guardian's not going to find out. So that's something to be aware of, okay? Think about insurance, right? And the anecdote I gave, in fact, um, the client could not afford the mental health services on their own. They were on their parents' insurance. And the therapist realized very quickly that if they build insurance, as I said, the parents were going to get an EOB. The parents are going to find out. Well, what is this, you know, uh, life spring counseling that you've been going to see? You know, Melissa's practice. Well, who is this? You know, oh, oh, it's a simple internet search by a parent would figure, would they be able to find out real quick that's a mental health practice, right? So you can imagine that conversation. Well, 
you now you have a problem. Very likely that parent might call up Melissa and be like, what is going on? Why are you doing seeing my, my child? You know, that's the question that's going to come up. So right. you're not guaranteed that the parent's not going to find out even if the child tells you they don't want them to know. And right? on top of that, even if we weren't talking about billing insurance, if we're talking about a 12-year-old or a 16-year-old, if the other options are to pay out of pocket via mm-hmm. credit card or cash mm-hmm. or check, you know, does a 12 or 16-year-old have access to their own money, their own resources in order to pay for services in that way? Where are they going to get that money from? Yeah. Think about this. Since you mentioned credit cards, I don't know a 13-year-old who can get a credit card without a parent's authority. So if a, if a, if a 13-year-old or 14-year-old comes in your office and says, oh, just put on my parent's credit card, at some point, a statement's going to those parents and they're going to see something if they look at the bill. Um, or if, we, or, you know, if it's long enough, if nine months go by and every month they've been being billed for this and all of a sudden they decide to look and they realize, well, what's this life spring counseling? I never went to life spring counseling. Again, it's not going to be hard for them to figure out what's going on and where this is coming from. And there's going to be some really hard questions. And that, that actually was the consideration that the therapist in my anecdote, you know, that's why we ultimately decided once they consulted with me to, you know, she advised the client, I have to disclose to your parents. Right, they're going to find out. We have to have a discussion if we're going to going to do therapy. And he ultimately agreed. Ultimately, as I recall, it actually was quite good for the person. Um, the update I got was that the parents were working with the child in therapy to kind of help figure out some of this stuff. So that was great. But that doesn't always happen. It's not always a happy ending like that. Right. Um, and, and keeping in mind that in many cases, probably you know, a, a young individual who's coming in for therapy will have family members who are supportive, mm-hmm. who know that they're seeking therapy. And in those cases, you may just need to have that, you know, that mm-hmm. client sign a release of information form and it's fine. Mm-hmm. But especially in those cases that we're talking about right now, where someone who is technically of age to give consent, but they don't want their parent or guardian to find out. So it may not always be yeah quite so difficult, but we want to make sure that yeah. you know what you have to do in these situations. Well, yeah, to your point, you know, and this is what I quipped to someone about once I first learned about the change in Maryland law to age 12, I said, a 12 year old can't even drive themselves to a mental health, you know, the practitioner's office. So how are they going to get there? They're going to take the bus? Maybe. Uh, I suppose that's possible. It seems dangerous in some cases to me, but the likelihood for most people is that if a 12 year old is going to a therapy appointment, Someone's probably driving them there. So mm-hmm. again, you know, these are considerations you have to take into account. And you have to have that discussion with your client. Just because they can do it doesn't mean that you know if there's a if there's an underlying issue going on where they don't want parents or guardians involved, that may not be something that's an option. That may have to happen no matter what. Um, so that's a, that's a consideration. Um, the other thing is confidentiality. Okay, just being tongue in cheek, you know, and I'm not saying this is true for all of them, but can a, can a 13 year old or 12 year old really most, you know, 13 year olds, you know, can they really competently consider all the various elements of confidentiality and the impact of what it means to waive it? You know, just to give you kind of a a crazy scenario, um, can a 14 year old really consent to releasing their health records to their boyfriend who's 15 or 16? Is that a good idea? Why would the, you know, so there are certain points where the confidentiality aspect as well comes in where 
you know, if there's a consideration regarding waiving confidentiality or the confidentiality rights or privacy rights, a 14, just by nature of being a child, of being a minor, you know, we know that uh, that adolescents' brains don't develop fully until I think they're mid-20s, right? I mean, there are some aspects here that you may have to make a decision or have to have a consultation with your client if you think that they're doing things with regards to confidentiality or things like that, that again, you might need to get the parents or guardians involved. You know, and again, if you're not sure, the old, my old refrain is consult a lawyer. Okay. The fourth consideration is that the minor may be the client, but you are still the adult in the room. Okay. You are the one with the training and education. You're the one who the law is saying you need to be the one to use your best judgment. It's not putting it on the minor. It's saying the minor can make can consent, but ultimately it's leaving it in your hands as a practitioner, at least in Maryland, to say it's in your best judgment, right? In the legal world, we use the term uh, in loco parentis. Okay. Now, some of you may have heard that. Um, sometimes it's used when in a lot of situations, but sometimes used with regards to school and stuff like that. And what it just means is that it's Latin for in place of a parent. Okay, and what it refers to is the legal responsibility of a person or uh, an entity organization to take on some functions of the responsibility of the parent. So, if you are meeting with a minor client without their parent or guardian knowledge, you have some responsibility. You have a lot of responsibility to them professionally, but you are undertaking, in some form, in my opinion, some of that parental responsibility now to be looking out for the well-being. Which you know it goes hand in hand with your job and your ethics as as a practitioner, but that's something to be aware of. So you know you need to be the one who taking into account you know is the decisions this client's making, you know is is this a situation where I feel it's okay that they can competently consent to this? Is this a situation where maybe I need to bring in the parents now or alert them to what's going on? Much as in with you know my clients the the anecdote. Uh, I, I provided where there was some self-harm, you know, many of you already know this, that various times, if you're seeking or uh, treating minors, there may be times where you're going to have to have a conversation with the parents. And there may be times you're going to have to reveal to them that the minor is getting therapy or okay, consenting to mental health therapy with or without their knowledge. And so this is an exa- another example of why, you know, again, uh, in Maryland, like I said, the, the law is going to be changing as of October 1st to the age of 12. Right, that doesn't remove the responsibility of the practitioner to keep the parents in the loop if they think that there's, you know, the child is at risk of self harm or harm their others. You know, at the end of the day, of course, you know, at least in Maryland and, and from many states, you know, you're not obligated to advise a parent or guardian that you're treating a minor. You know, if if the age of consent applies to that minor, and, you know, if a parent asks, you're not necessarily obligated to tell them. You know that you are treating the minor, or tell them what what's happening. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't always, right? It means that there may be times where you have to have that conversation with the minor. Say, look, I understand that you are consenting to, to treatment. I understand you want to do treatment, but I may have to bring your parents in to have a talk with them because of what's going on here, or because I need their consent to be able to have you sign this form, right? They need to sign this form as well. That type of thing. And the reason you want to be doing that, just as part of your due diligence, part of making sure you're, you're, you're being compliant, making sure you're protecting your practice, to throw the tagline in. But that's, that, this is, I'm, I'm being serious. I'm, I'm being trying to be funny, but I'm also being serious. I mean, this goes to the heart. If you treat minor clients of the considerations you need to be taking into account 
and the steps you need to be taking. There are times where the minor client may say, I don't want them to know. It doesn't matter. You, you are ultimately the adult in the room. You're the one with the license. You're the one who the law is saying, it's in your judgment. We are telling you. And if you screw it up, you will get in trouble. So don't screw it up. <laughs> you know, and again, that can be scary, like Melissa said. But that's, again, where seeking out legal, competent legal uh, advice, you know, getting help if you don't know what to do is so important. Yes. And so for those of you who are listening, who do work with children, you do work with adolescents, just know that I want to give you a very big thank you for all that you do. (laughs) It's not work that I personally want to do. So I really appreciate the passion that you have to have for working with children and adolescents. There is a lot of extra stuff that you have to know and do. Uh, I personally really enjoy just sitting on my couch and talking with someone, but you guys have to be so creative um, Mm and getting people involved. So just a great big thank you for the work that you're doing, knowing that a lot of times there's extra involved for you. Like I said, those are the four points I would consider if you are treating minor clients um, when it comes to consent. Um, As always, consult with an attorney if you have questions, but that's it for us on, on this particular topic. We, I, I do hope you found this discussion helpful. As always, we welcome your own experiences, your insights, your comments, your feedback, and your questions. And who knows? If you ask us a question, we might actually answer your question on a future podcast episode. So please feel free to reach out to us. You can find us on the web, on Facebook, and on our webpage. Please reach out, join the conversation with us. We'd like to hear from you. Thanks. That's about it for us. Be well, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Protecting Your Practice podcast. Be sure to visit protectingyourpractice.com to connect with us, continue the conversation, and access additional information. As a reminder, the information on this podcast does not constitute legal advice. Listeners should contact their own attorney or paid consultant for all decisions regarding their own practice.